What happens when you start asking questions? What happens when you start asking questions like, Why am I here? What happens after death? Will I see those that have gone again in the future? What happens when you start asking yourself, What is happiness? Am I truly happy by trying to please others? Does pleasing others make me happy? Does doing what people think I should do, is that what makes me happy? Is that what success is? Karina Powen had some of these questions as an intellectually curious teen in communist Romania. And her journey for answers brought her literally across the world and to her knees and to God's love. In today's podcast, I talk with Karina Powen about everything from her childhood all the way up to how she went from communist Romania to a mission in Papua New Guinea, teaching indigenous people about Christ's love and translating the Bible literally for the first time in their language. She really struck a chord with me because she went through all the avenues that one would go through in this society that's supposed to define success. Education, uh, grooming a, a pedigree of, uh, di- of a liberal, diverse knowledge of music and the arts and language and having a career that's supposed to signify success. And she still felt empty, a way that I often would feel when I would have some kind of worldly success. And she sought for more. She wasn't satisfied. She ended up having to come to America to fully know Christ. That alone is really interesting to be in Europe in a situation where, as she put it, the power of man had replaced God. She goes through a lot of really touching emotional stories, things that I know you're going to be able to relate to, things that that I definitely uh, enjoyed hearing about and made me really um, thankful for my own faith. This is reaffirming. It's also inspiring. And it, it really can make you feel like, you know what, if she came from that environment and is doing what she is doing for the Lord, you can too. Enjoy this conversation with Karina Powen today on Transformation. Hi, I'm on the line with Karina. How do you say your last name, Karina? Powen. Oh, okay. Karina Powen, how are you today? I am doing really well. Thank you. Good, good. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk with me. Um, I want to start at the beginning. Tell me a little bit about yourself before you came to know Christ. Yes, actually, um, (laughs) I I am uh, the only child to my parents. Um, And uh, again, my name is Karina. Uh, and uh, I grew up um, in a family with, I would say, good morals, but none of whom knew God. Um, we, I actually was born in Romania, and at that time and the years to follow, Romania uh, was and remained a communist country. So you 
See, my childhood and teenage years were filled with nannies and many lonely hours because I didn't have any siblings and my parents were very, very busy. Mm -hmm. So basically, study became my refuge. And um, I read a lot. I uh, developed a love for books and for knowledge. And um, um, that's what I basically threw myself into. Okay. Yes? Good. Keep going. Keep going. Well, yes, the, the thing is, though, that neither uh, the knowledge or um, all that time spent in, in books um, uh, was actually satisfying, you know, that, that uh, desire for being accepted, loved, and, and there was a void in my life. So um, I, I constantly, from the uh, young years, I felt simply not um, cared for, I guess. <laughs> yes, yes. And you felt something inside, a feeling, uh, something like something was missing? Exactly, exactly. A big void. And, and also, really, the more I read, I came to the realization that I didn't understand more. I had more questions. So um, uh, my, my father was assigned to uh, work for a while. Um, while during my, I think, Fifth year, I we traveled and we left Romania and stayed in um, the German Democratic Republic at that time, until I was about 13 years old. Okay. So basically, on top of the loneliness in my own family, I was now in a foreign country and uh, trying to cope with a different culture. Uh, again, it was it was quite hard to be accepted. I was different. Um, so that added on to that feeling of um, not belonging. Right. Um, and uh, it also basically developed inside of me uh, fear of people almost. Uh, you know, there was a, on one hand that desire to be uh, with others and to be accepted by them, but at, at the same time due to that um, feeling of, of uh, inadequacy, I would say, um, it was very hard for me to cope. Yeah. And you were a teenager. Yes. I actually returned to Romania um, during, uh, shortly before a big earthquake was there. And so um, I studied uh, further uh, high school at the German school just to keep up the, the language um, my parents paid for all sorts of additional activities. I studied music. Um, I was also involved in um, gymnastics. So basically, all aspects of, of my life in terms of uh, development and, and training were taken care of. But there was this um, piece of, of me that was still unsatisfied, and it was um, a big void. And the, the more I grew up, and especially during the uh, teenage years, you know, in time, where you try to find out who you really are and, um, you know, where you belong. These were struggles for me. Um, So basically, my biggest questions were around uh, the reason we are even on this earth and what is happiness and what is after death. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Big stuff. Yes, 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 indeed. Uh, yes, and so the more I, I searched, as I said, in, in books, um, the more questions I had because I started reading, um, you know, the, the world literature classics at that time. 
um, and also continued um, going into um, world religions and, and different um, uh, worldviews and ended up in Greek mythology, which um, I started liking a lot, and um, it still did not answer them like these you know, essential questions. Right, and at that um, time, were you going to church at all? No, no, we did not have church. Um, communist years, you know, God mm. was taken completely out. It's it's very hard to to understand, but there was no um, even trace of a Bible. Um, and it, this is communist Romania during the 70s and 80s. Right. So, so basically, uh, the teachings then were that man has, you know, the power is everything. Um, basically, God was dethroned and, and was replaced with, with the, you know, handful of leaders, which were at that time. And so, um, slowly, slowly, though, that too drifted more into um, um, dictatorship of Ceausescu's. So basically, if I had two words to describe that time, I would say corruption and terror. Right. And that is basically what we lived. Right. And I think a lot of people, even today's age, can relate to that. That is true. Correct. These were the years where a lot of people that I was to know later on, um, you know, left the country in circumstances of risking their lives, really. Um, and so a lot of them came to be here and in other countries and remaining strong in the faith and having carrying you know a strong testimony for the Lord. Right. Uh, but I did not know them then. <laughs> no, yeah. So you're you're in high school in communist That's Romania. Right. Correct. And what happens next? And um, I again that desire to please people just to be loved and, and you know um, acknowledged and accepted um, pushed me very, very hard to be very good in school. So this, um, actually everything that, that the Lord allowed in my life, um, he, he didn't lose anything. He actually took and, and used it. Even now that I look back, I see his hand above me. Mm. So that desire to know and to pursue and to persevere, um, these were definitely things that, that he had given me, um, even without my knowledge. So that is amazing to me. That is. Um, so it is. It is. So right after high school, I went on to a college, which was not necessarily my own choice. Here again, he had prepared those things so long ago to be able to, um, you know, uh, reap from later. Uh, my parents decided they did not want to allow me to go and study uh, medical science. I wanted to become a doctor, um, and they. Uh, in, they didn't really impose, but they convinced me. They were very convincing uh, that I go and study foreign languages. It is true that the Lord had gifted me, but I thought, you know, that I can learn languages uh, separately, mm. simply because it came so easy to me, probably. But uh, they insisted, and I obeyed at that time. <laughs> it mm. was not the time of my rebellion yet. And, um, and it was good. Um, I did enjoy uh, my studies, and I, I loved the fact that I was able to access knowledge, um, you know, and, and um, also the, the kind of interactions that I had with my colleagues. We were a small group, um, and there were quite a lot of professors, which already were, if not opposing the regime, they... Um, they allowed us to speak our mind a bit more freely, and that was really good. 
So um, that led to, to the place of my early marriage, though. Um, my parents kept telling me that once I'm, I'll be married, I'll make my own decisions. Once I'll be married. So I saw that as um, an out from under the authority of my parents. And I believe those were the years of my rebellion. They, they started. So uh, basically, I uh, started a series of very poor choices, um, simply by not having any direction in my life, truly. Um, and again, being quite misled by a false desire to be good, because we and ourselves do not carry that goodness. But I did not know that. So that missing piece I tried to fill with, you know, the love of uh, a man that I married. Um, again, good things came out of it due to God's grace because uh, my first daughter was born <laughs> out of that marriage. But it, uh, it started also a series of years of hardship and uh, terrible violence. Um, I was beaten up to the point of almost, you know, being left for dead. Um, broken ribs. Um, I, I had a series of events which led me to hospital. So this was not necessarily something that um, that uh, really filled that void. <laughs> Actually, yeah. and you, it, were, uh, you were saying uh, that to, to, it brought to, about for, a lot of hardship and pain and um, even bitterness. You know, for that relationship to happen, it was as much about independence from your parents as it was about yes. that person. Yes, and here's the, um, you know, the paradox. My parents had never exercised, um, you know, their authority in uh, punitive measures, especially with violence. They always discussed, they persuaded, and I submitted most of the time because they were right in my eyes. But um, this was something new to me. And, and uh, it actually, you know, developed a mindset of victim whereby I believed what I was told that I deserved this and so that truly shook my um, my my idea of what I'm worth you know mm. and and uh, led to doubt and self-doubt so during those years I believe that at the beginning of um, of this um, suffering I I did not really cry out to God I, I was just not understanding so I was trying to to, uh, you know, figure out the reasons for all this. But, uh, of course, I had no answer. Um, and so slowly, slowly, as I was really nearing to the, the end of, of patience and, in, you know, endurance, I started crying out to God. And uh, I believed, I always believed that there was a maker of heaven and earth. And this goes back to the fact that I remember my grandmother talking to me about that. And my grandmother was not necessarily a, a religious person, but she had that faith. Um, but she died um, in early age from a stroke uh, during the time of my high school. So I did not um, pursue, you know, knowledge of from her really about this God. And so, when you first started to seek God, roughly how old were you? Uh, I would say it was later, 23, 24, these were about the, that's the time that I started saying, if you exist, help me, mm. take me out of this. Yeah, and, and so. did you have the daughter at that point? Yes, I did, I had my, my first daughter. Okay. And I, at the same time, was um, still, 
I was commuting at that time. I had graduated from uh, college. And during Ceausescu's time, he had this policy that he wanted people to move to either move away from their actual uh, place of birth and be active somewhere else for about three years. It was that um, strategy of a divide and control, really, you know, and so outroot the people so that they will be um, easily manipulated. And so it was it was really hard because um, here we were, both of us young and, and uh, out of uh, college and having a child and yet not really having a family because both of us were commuting. So we saw each other very rarely and when when we were getting together, um, you know, his um, insecurities and alcohol consumption then led to um, all this violence and it was it was actually getting worse because later I started to to think about it and in my forgiving time I, I thought wow it was it must have been really hard um, for my husband at the time to really cope with his own guilt you know the more he was actually uh, projecting his um, lack of satisfaction and frustrations in upon me um, after it was you know after the beatings and everything obviously I was I carried the signs on me so the bruises and everything and so looking at me I could see that it was really tearing him apart inside mm. so um, it was just um, um, it was it was not good and of course he was an atheist and he was uh, professing that we are our own gods. So this was his philosophy and, and belief. Um, and it stayed that way for many years. Anyway, um, the endurance was there. It was allowed. Uh, and um, I, I tried to persevere. I had hoped that with a second child, uh, maybe this would be resolved. So Mara came. Um, 11 years after Georgiana. By that time I was 33 and again it was getting worse um, to the point that when Mara was about two years old, um, divorce was the only way out, I would say, at this point. Right. I know that um, in, in church usually and, and where, where people are raised in the Word and in the ways of, uh, of the Lord, um, divorce is a terrible thing, and, and it is. Uh, but we know that at times this can be uh, a deliverance, and this was my case. So at that point, where were you spiritually? Spiritually, I was seeking. Okay. I had been starting to visit the Orthodox churches. In those churches, you do not hear the Word of God preached. I went to monasteries um, where people retreat and, and serve um, that way, but again, I was given no um, spiritual guidance, basically. I was told to just go back and pray and do some penitences on my knees and, and perform some ceremonies, which none of them really um, led me to light. I, I felt I was you know, entangled into a darkness, and, and I was... Uh, uh, unable to free myself, and but I felt inside that I was seeking. I was looking for something. Yeah. And I called it a quest. I literally was was became aware that I was in a quest, and I thought I was in a quest for something. And I, I looked upon it as the answers to those questions. Little did I know, I was in a quest for someone. Mm. 
Mm. And, and she had been already crying out to me and already waiting. You know? <laughs> and it sounds like you, you, you're measuring as you go, measuring the response of doing these different rituals and, and, and going to these different uh, denominations and different churches. Exactly, yes. And the Lord knows us so well. He knows how to reach out to each one of us. So he had so much patience with me. Because I was so undecisive, you see, and later I read in James that once you ask for wisdom, then you know you will receive it. You should not doubt because then you are, you know, a double-minded person. And, and just indeed, I was at that time like a ship being tossed and torn by the, by the storm and by the wind. But even then, the hand of God was upon me. Yes. And he was continuing to reach out and, and gently leading me toward him, you know, so I can turn, uh, for I did definitely have my, my back on him. Um, so yes, in that time I had, um, I had, I had actually experienced at one, on one hand I had the hardship at home, but on the other hand I had, um, professional acknowledgement and, um, you know, in the worldly eyes, a lot of social success in the sense that I had been working with a British embassy for eight, uh, eight years and, um, you know, I, I had been able to be part of big, huge decisions. Romania had gone through a revolution at that point. Um, it's, it came to be um, after, I, after the three years of, of my um, teaching experience, and then I returned to Bucharest, where I was actually born. And the revolution had found me on the streets, really, because um, my rebellious being, you know, of course, I was against this kind of political oppression and even spiritual oppression. I could feel that. We all did. Um, so after 44 years, um, I remember the time that, that we all stopped. And definitely, I think even the, in the heart of the people doubting, the fact that we all knelt down when we heard that Ceausescu had left the building, you know, and we were all there surrounded by tanks, and there was a moment of silence. We felt the heaviness, which is the glory of God. I can truly say that. That was a, an amazing experience, and the Lord opened my eyes and reminded me of that uh, later when I came to know him. So at every step, I would say he was there, he was present. I just did, did have my eyes in, uh, you know, blinded. I, I couldn't see. Um, and so, come to be that years later then, uh, in about in the year 2000, I was uh, to take a business trip and I came with uh, both my daughters to America. Okay. And um, init my initial plan was to really finish all the business that was um, to be done here and then return. But the Lord had other, other plans for me. The Lord had decided this was the appropriate time for me to come to know him. So since my arrival, God took me by hand from Christian home to Christian home. And I saw people pray. I heard them pray. I saw the light and peace upon their faces. And I could not understand. It's truly the peace that surpasses all understanding. Yeah. yeah. And I... But I, I felt stirred up inside because I realized that that is what I've been seeking. I, I desperately wanted what they had, and I didn't. So God had been calling me already for years, but I had not entered a relationship with him. 
Well, at that time, in one of my uh, visits and discussions, um, someone gave me a Bible, and I started reading it, and, and it was very interesting, you know, cognitively. So in, in my intellectual um, side was, uh, was definitely stirred up and satisfied, but I couldn't understand it quite well. So I started asking many questions uh, from all these friends that I heard praying, and, and I, um, I saw that they had what I wanted. And so finally somebody um, gave me in very broad lines an overview of the plan of salvation, God's plan of salvation for us. And I, I was nodding my head. I still remember they prayed and said, go home and read John. Well, I did go home, but of course I didn't read John. I opened the book at Romans. And so I read Romans 1 and Romans 2, and I collapsed and my heart ached. And I was so overwhelmed with guilt and, and my realization of sin. And I said, how do you know you speak about me here? You're right about me. And so right there and then I actually repented, which means that I truly asked God to forgive me. And I asked him to change me. And so I ran back to my friends the next day. I hadn't slept much that night, and I, and I told them all that had happened. And I said, he knows me. He, he writes about me. Look here. And so, so they, they said, you are ready indeed. Let's, let's just pray that the Lord will you know, take you in and, and um, that you will receive him as your Lord and God and know him. And um, then right after that, a few days later, that weekend, actually, I was invited to their church so I Clark at 39 years of, of age only <laughs> I heard the word of God for the first time <laughs> amen to that and I remember every single word of that sermon um, we I entered um, the church and there was a guest preacher Alan Blackwood and he took the microphone and he knocked into the microphone and I could hear my heart pounding every time he beat in it. And, um, and all at once I, I knew and understand. I, I, I understood, sorry, the knocking. And so um, he, he looked around and I, I thought he stared at me when he said that actually this is Jesus knocking and do you hear him? He is talking to you. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And I, although I paid, continued to pay attention to every word at that point, my tears were streaming out without, without me even possibly, you know, containing or, or, or being able to hold back at all. Yeah. And, and my mind was, was numb with the thought, what the creator of the universe he wants to be with me he wants to spend time with me and he does not just sweep me off the feet or pull or or, or conquer or you know come forcefully no he tells me that i need to open the door so obviously that at that point all my turmoil was taken away it was replaced with a with a flood of peace i it's very hard to put in words what what came over me you know and and the joy i mean this immense joy i had struggled with depression for all those years of you know loneliness and and hardship and violence afterwards and and all of a sudden you know i was just it was it was like like in not invaded but flooded you know <laughs> i was flooded and and just um i remember that that um the preacher uh, Blackwood actually um, illustrated 
what it means when David said, my cup runneth over, you know, and so he took a glass and, and he poured into it and it seemed that, that it was completely full. So he demonstrated how there were still there was still space for about 24 drops and and then it ran over and he said, this is how we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And and so he went on, though, to say, what are we to do with this treasure, you know, that, that we have in these frail vessels that we're not supposed to just selfishly keep and hang on to it and, and hide it. And no, the light cannot be hidden. It, it is on the hill and it needs to shine. So go out and tell others. So so then finally we we, we came to the point of um, making a decision. And I remember that I just ran to the pastor afterwards and said, I, I don't know what I need to do, but I believe there has something that needs to be done. I, <laughs> and I'm ready. And and so I um, heard the word of God further, and, and the Lord has been faithfully staying with me. And he keeps his promise to this day. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. He never left me, and he is with me to this day. And, you know, he does keep his promise. The Lord will be our everlasting light, and our God will be our glory. And this is so true. And tell me a little bit about, I think it's interesting that, there was all this seeking happening when you were in Romania, but you had to come to America to hear yeah. the message in a way or to see it um, in, the, in the households in a way that allowed you to fully accept it. What was going on in Romania that was keeping you at bay? Is it not like that over there? Well, it's basically, the, especially during that time, uh, even the churches were dislocated, if you can imagine. Um, that that some of the churches were pulled down, but some were literally pulled out with foundation and all and hidden, so that people do not um, you know do not see. I mean, the access was not free there, and and definitely, um, as I said, the word of God was not preached. And um, I mean, I'm not going to go into into theology um, and and different discussions about religion, but it is true that there there was no encouragement about um, you know in having a, a direct relationship with Christ um, or with God in Christ, you know. And so basically I, I do remember seeing small groups of people and they were, you know, they had their heads covered, the women and with long skirts and so on. And, but, you know, they were being mocked on and, and people were, were pointing and saying, oh, look, these are the repented ones. So they, the, people just basically told us to, to shun them. And that is the darkness. That is what the darkness will do. Despite you know your your inner craving, uh, because God has put eternity in our hearts, so we have that longing to come back to Him. But despite that, there's fight going on, and it is a spiritual fierce fight. And I was in midst of very dense darkness, and yeah. that is what the lack of of uh, you know of knowledge of God is. And it it is definitely I know what it means to grow up or to be without the Word of God, and it it, it means to be outside you know, of God outside his will. Right. Um, and, 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 and coming back to Romania after finding Christ, accepting Christ and saying, this is it. This is the calling of my life. This is what I've been searching for. Coming back, how did you maintain that in a culture that you just described? Well, and that is the thing that I did not come back. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord did, did send us, you know, to to testify and to witness for him. And he did say, start in Jerusalem, go to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the world. 
So I did also believe that this is it, I, I, I need to go back, but he had other plans. He kept me put, um, and basically I studied his words. I, I said, Lord, what, not, what is all this knowledge good for me? Just like Paul is saying, all that I you know, considered gain, I now consider loss, and this is garbage. So I so wish I would, I would know you fully, and I, I would just be studying your word. And so he did. He opened this opportunity, basically, in uh, 2006, that I go into seminary. So I stayed put, and I, I continued studying. I, um, uh, 2006 to 2009, I underwent the, the studies of the seminary. And during that time, though, I kept testifying of him. I sent my, I, I called, of course, my parents, and I had to tell them they were in Romania. And I spoke with them, and every time they, they heard me start talking about my relationship with Jesus, and you should read this, and, and I was just reading Bible verses out of the Bible to them um, in their mother tongue so that they understand. They kept saying that they were busy, so <laughs> they uh, thought that I had gone crazy, basically, which is what I had heard from my daughters, too. <laughs> and so and you I stayed said, yes, in America. Ma I am crazy for Jesus, and you should be, too. <laughs> so, <laughs> So you uh, stayed in America? Yes, I did. I did. Uh, the Lord kept me here to, to uh, continue the studies. And, and basically, um, he, he kept talking to me about his plans, you know, and, and uh, uh, showing me in, in Jeremiah 29, 11 that he has plans for me. And so, um, and in Isaiah 54, 5 to 10, and then in, in 42, 2, that he is there. His everlasting love will not depart from me. So I, I waited on him. I learned to wait on him and, and um, really, well, I shouldn't say that because he still teaches me that. Now, now we're in the next phase. Wait patiently on him. <laughs> so, so, but he, he did have a plan um, and he put in my heart the desire to share with others this treasure. Um, and, and it is not of our own power. Uh, it is by God's grace that we have it. And so I started testifying to my friends, to my neighbors, um, even I'm into the safe, Safeway clerk and, and so on. It, it, anybody, anybody who, who I would come in, in contact with. And it was, though, on my heart to really have my parents know the truth and yeah. for them to be free and for them to walk in light. And so the more I was um, actually speaking to them about it, the more they were, you know, backing up. So basically I decided to write to them. So I wrote them a big letter. In that, I also explained that I asked them to forgive me. I had forgiven for all the hurts there were in my life and so on. And, and then I, I gave them specific Bible verses which had spoken to my heart. And I sent that along with a Bible in the Romanian language and with my uh, taped testimony and baptism. So the Lord took this and I Still remember, I wrote on the uh, cover of the of the Bible. This book will keep you away from sin, or sin will keep you far from this book. And so um, that was very intriguing to my dad. Um, he kept reading it and reading it, and to uh, not continue too long. After about a year, he watched the tapes. He read. He opened. He prayed and said, "Show me, show me what I need to know." And so he opened at Psalm 139 and. At 70, my dad made the covenant with the Lord and surrendered his life completely over to God and, and was reconciled to God uh, through Jesus Christ. So, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, 
it is. Um, both daughters, um, you know, followed. Both my daughters um, were baptized uh, within the next following year. Um, so I was baptized in 2002, 23rd of February, and then uh, my my dad and um, my daughters in 2004 and 2005. And so God is so good. He is absolutely amazing. So that was his plan for that time. Um, I continued, as I said, to, to study. And during that time also came the calling to further, you know, um, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the world. Um, Ma Mara, my younger daughter, and I went to a missions uh, week to Wainima. Now, Wainima is on the West Coast, and it is uh, an interdenominational camp where four times a year there are uh, big events organized for Christians to come together to praise and to grow together. And so every year um, at the beginning of August, now I understand that they, they do it a bit earlier, um, but they organized a week worth of um, listening to missionary stories, uh, being receiving the word in the morning, worship, and just being encouraged to be fruitful unto the Lord. So I was there uh, during that week, um, and in August, in, in uh, 2004 actually it started, but it continued. And uh, I met a couple, uh, Joe and Carol Hoover, who were busy and, and active for the Lord and um, in Guinea. Now, they told me their story, and they invited me to come along since I had the linguistic studies. <laughs> and so, for a Bible translator, this was essential. So they said, you don't have to go through a different kind of training. You already have the essential and basic training for being a Bible translator. So, come and join us. I said, sure, I will, I will look into the process. Right. We launched the process in the fact that they invited me to go and look up perspective courses that would be in the area. I was living in uh, Portland, Vancouver area at that time. And um, I did so, and there was nothing coming up that soon. But every time I researched Bible translation, I came across Wycliffe Bible translators. Wycliffe Bible translators. So basically, um, then I started praying, God, where do you want me? And sure enough, I started researching Guinea, but every time I looked it up, Papua New Guinea showed up. So basically, I started learning about the tribal uh, languages there and all these, um, you know, the developments which were more recent, really, because these were hard to reach people. So my heart was so stirred up that I started crying and asking God to show me whether he truly wanted me in a remote place. And um, as a result, and, uh, to, uh, or as an answer to my prayers, very soon after uh, this, um, two weeks later, I believe, at the neighborhood church, Wycliffe Bible Translators had a presentation. They had a banquet. And you probably have heard about their banquet where they, they uh, you know, present um, the work that they're doing and also have uh, people testify and, and bring some of their own stories to, to life and um, are encouraging. So there I was sitting there and I realized that as they were passing the offering plate, I had not taken any money or anything with me. So I said, Lord, what am I supposed to do? But as I was still praying and, and considering, I already grabbed a piece of paper writing my name and my number on it and threw it in the offering. And surely God took it and he received it and accepted it. 
So, so a few months later, I received a phone call and I was invited to launch the application process with, with the Bible translators. Clark, sometimes the Lord answers us, as I said, and many times he does that, when I have not even finished speaking, you know, my prayer or asking. But sometimes he has us waiting. So where I thought that I was ready to jump on the first plane in 2004 to, to go and, and, you know, be a missionary and take his words to those who don't have it, for I know what it means to be without it. Well, it took about seven years. <laughs> but the, the process with Wycliffe was short, um, and, and God had to still, you know, shape our character. I mean, how can we his, be his ambassadors and effective? if there's still things that he has to work in us. And he, he does. So um, faithfully, though, he answered. And in uh, the year 2011, in July 2011, I arrived together with Mara, who was um, still a minor at that time, in uh, Papua New Guinea, in Okarumpa. And so that was his plan. And his plan was not to send me back to my own people, um, but to send me into the jungle, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and with that, um, with that time period, what was your expectation that you would just go over there and try it, or what were you thinking? No, I had already uh, decided that this is my life. Um, there were so between the years of two thousand and six when I started um, seminary, you can imagine it was really hard. I was the only income maker in my family, the only provider, the head of the household. By that time, by the grace of God, Georgiana was already walking with him, and she also had finished her studies and had a full-time job, and she decided to move away from the Portland area to Mesa. So I was with Mara, but I was still the only one providing. So um, I prayed, and I said, Lord, you are my provider. As he had shown me, again, I say in scriptures, I asked him, is it for you for me to marry again? And he said, I am your husband. I am I, the Lord, am your God and your husband. I am your Redeemer. So I understood that that was not the path to go. So I committed myself completely to him, and I said, all right. So just like Peter, who said, show me, Lord, and you told him to step out of the boat, and he started walking on water, that is what I'm going to do. Well, I said this, but I still kept my professional jobs, which were high paying. So my trust was really in my own income, which was the you know, results or the, the fruit of my labor. So God had to teach me trusting, uh, trust in him. And so slowly, slowly, I went from a full-time job to a part-time job. And then finally, I had to resign for he made it really clear that that was not the way to go. I had to be in his hand, completely surrendered. It is scary, very scary. But he knew that I, I struggled with trust due to the, you know, to my whole experience as a child and then later too. And so um, I needed this lesson. So um, he, he spoke to me very clearly from his word. He reminded me about the promise I had made. And uh, I, I understood uh, that I had to really give up the full-time jobs. And, and uh, at, this was during the time that um, we were pursuing the collaboration with Wycliffe. And I took on um, a part-time, well, it is substitute teaching really. Which also, again, was something that he would use later. Um, it's the gift of, of teaching. You know, I love teaching. 
And so he put all of these things and my whole entire experience and my testimony together, wrapped, wrapped me up, equipped me, and, and uh, sent me off to Papua New Guinea. Okay. Now, and so you're in Papua New Guinea, and then what happens? To show you how this all came to be is that at that time I did not know indeed what exactly my job would be other than, all right, I can translate the Bible, I can go and, and teach literacy if that's what he wants, but I can also, you know, scrub the floors or <laughs> if there are any, and, um, you know, and do any kind of labor or whatever he wants me to work. So I was willing. that With that kind of mindset we left. I did not have a, a particular job uh, description in mind or, or anything. I just said, I want to be fruitful for the Lord. I, I just, you know, whatever he wants me to do. And so basically after the uh, Pacific Orientation, Wycliffe has a very good structure. Uh, once you arrive there, you're immersed culturally and linguistically. So it took eight weeks to learn Tokpisin, which is the Malaysian um, uh, pidgin that is spoken as a as a uh, language of circulation as a national language and then um, pray about the place where God wanted me during this time I think when we arrived on a Saturday the 13th of July um, on we, we went into a prayer group on Sunday on Monday I was sitting to watch how recordings were done uh, of already translated New Testament scriptures and two days later, I was already recording with one of the language groups, which was Agarabi. So we're talking within four days. Um, God already had prepared that. But I tell you, those were amazing experiences. I had to stop often because the Lord would bring, we were in the books of Galatians and Colossians, and, and the Lord brought memories back to me. And, and I said, look what he's saying here. This is what he did in my life. And, and those men and women were crying, and, and then they were coming with their, <laughs> with their testimonies. So it was an amazing and, and very, very um, fruitful time, very fervent time. This was two weeks. Um, after two weeks, I had to go and, and be actually um, thrown into the jungle <laughs> experience and uh, participate in the Pacific Orientation course, which uh, takes almost, what, what was it, 14 weeks. And so part of that was um, continuous language learning, as I said, and then part of that was village living. And, um, and of course, then we were given uh, essential knowledge about the culture we were in and so on, so that we are not, we, we try to avoid, you know, cultural mistakes or things that could prevent the gospel to be received. So in God's wisdom and in his grace, um, I went around and, and um, I'm not a young person anymore at this time, right? I mean, I'm, I'm 48 years of age and, and uh, I am a diabetic, diabetes too, but at that point I felt so strong and God strengthened my legs and I hiked everywhere and every time the people said, oh, strong Mary, you're strong, you're strong, I gave God the glory. I said, he strengthens my legs, he strengthens my legs, up to a point where I stopped saying this. And a week later, I was sick with malaria. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, this is very interesting, Lord. How am I supposed to be, you know, to do things for you? And he reminded me then, I am strong in my weakness. In my weakness, I am strong. Because it is God's power. It is not my own. So this is what my, my testimony became. 
And indeed, as I was singing to the Lord and as I was giving the people and talk pissing, I, I had acquired this very quickly. In eight weeks, I spoke it. So I was talking to them and, and they said, no, this is, this is the darkness. You, we, have, we hope that you're, you're already being raised from your sickbed, but you can't move. So someone must have done a, a witchcraft spell on you and so on. And so this is witchcraft. And then I kept telling them, the one who is in me is stronger than the one who is in the world. Yeah. And I prayed aloud for, you know, they gather around the house. There, it's a, it's a um, community living there. So everything is done in community. And so people were worried that the white woman was sick, you know. And, and you they, would pray they, in, their tone, in their native tongue? Exactly. Yes, I did. And so then I, I lifted this prayer asking God to show them. And I said, just like Jesus said to Lazarus, rise up. And, and he said, not for me, but for them to know. That is how I pray for you right now. And give me a word. Give me something that, that you know, we can, we can see and, and I can tell them. They heard this prayer. So basically I opened and there it was in Job, Job 12. The Lord gave this to me. And so I explained and I started reading. And it is very unusual for people, especially crowds, to sit for longer than, you know, a few minutes or not to speak about hours. Well, Clark, God had them pinned down and others coming as, as we were reading from the talk piece in Bible, and they understood it. Most of them did because this was at the coast, so they, they had more, you know, um, exchange and they, they knew talk piece in better. They listened for two hours mm. to the word of God. And by the end of, of that time, I looked around and people had their, their heads down, you know, in awe. That was amazing. So I praise God, and I, I still do. And this is a testimony that he gave me before I even arrived to the place that I was to serve, which was in the Nomana area, far away, in the middle, and I would say in the heart of Papua New Guinea, in the highlands. And that is where, where I arrived in 2012. And I, I stayed until 2014 with them. And the first thing that, that came, it's, it's an area which is really surrounded by the big river Wagi, and, um, and it's accessible only by plane. So I arrived there with a longing, and, and God had put this longing for this particular people's group. After praying, you know, laying on the hands on, on the map and praying and asking, God, where do you want me to go? And I read some studies that, um, you know, surveyors had done. It was about Lembena, another group, and about this one. But yet, every time I prayed for the Nomane, my heart was, was stirred up with longing. And so I, I knew, I knew that this is the place to go to. I had many questions. The survey was very old. It was since, um, I think, 97. And so I, I wanted to know more about, about these people. And when I arrived there and I gave my testimony, they all nodded, and especially the women started crying. They came to me. They touched me. You know, they think that white, the, the, in white, their, their ancestors come back, the spirits of their ancestors, and they don't know whether it's meant for good or, or to revenge um, the, you know, things from the past. But then they started touching me, and so I was, I was flesh like them. And I asked them, why were they so surprised? And they said, we never believed that white women suffer, that white women have sickness, that white women, you know, can even go through divorce or, you know, rape or other things. And, and here you are, just like us. 
So that was important to me, Clark, because I had promised God I would go wherever he sends me, but he needs to clarify and confirm to me that that is the place and that is his will. Yes. So that, that to me was confirmation. I was accepted. Later I had learned, I am I, sorry, I learned that um, they had beaten out, beaten up, sorry, uh, uh, another missionary that had tried to settle down um, years before. And they said they don't need any white people there. So, anyway, this is this was amazing to me. So see how all the things that just like Joseph, the things that men, you know, meant to harm, he turned it into good. And indeed, he lost nothing. The 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 desire for knowledge. Um, it's one of the things you know that you go into these people's group and you ask them what is valuable to them. And so first, when I, when I arrived uh, at the other language group at, near to the coast, they said, we want people that are persuasive, people of good talk, uh, you know, that are eloquent. And I said, all right. Well, in, my, in this area, I call it my area because I'm, you know, so, so connected to the people of Namane. In my area, they said knowledge. Knowledge is what, what we treasure. And I said, hallelujah, Lord, you send me where I belong. <laughs> Yeah, the nice thing about it is, is something physical that we never think of. I mean, I, I initially didn't think that I can bother God with a lot of detail, but yet he is the God of our details. So speaking of details, my physical appearance is not, you know, uh, impressive because I'm, I'm short. I'm very small. <laughs> I'm short and, and my hair is curly and, and, you know, pepper and white and, and silver. It's got a lot of that. I started um, having silver and white hair very early in my, in my age. And I'm now 51. Well, I'll be 52 uh, next week. But anyway, he sent me to these people who are sturdy, but they're not very tall. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not fearful to them. I'm not, um, I don't look aggressive to them. I, I you know, and, and we talk level to level sort of. <laughs> and the other thing is that I, I laughed when they were taking, you know, hair that is silver and I was combing my hair or whatnot. They take it and they put it on their own head. And I said, what are you doing? Well, they explained to me that they value um, white hair and silver hair because it is a sign of wisdom. So all these things God had put together and prepared from long ago. How amazing is he? It's amazing. Hallelujah. Unbelievable. <laughs> so tell me about now. You're in Papua New Guinea now? I am actually on furlough, and I'm preparing to return to Papua New Guinea. Mara came back. She graduated from um, the Okarumpa uh, High School there, International High School, and she is going to college to Multnomah Bible College. Well, it's not Bible College anymore. It's Multnomah University in Portland. Um, with the hope to graduate with a double major uh, Bible studies and theology and educational ministries. And so she has started there. The Lord has provided and, I, and gave me so much peace as a mother that I can actually uh, be free to return. And the plan is to be back in Papua New Guinea um, at the beginning of March. And what are the needs that you're seeing there now? If you ask them, they will always tell you that they're poor and they have need for clothes. And this is not something that they realized until, you know, the missionaries came and then they had also access to the outside world and, and see what actually riches in terms of uh, material wealth mean. Because they have gardens and they have houses. 
this and I never hear them complain truly. So this is one thing I learned from them, that they are meek, they're humble, and they are grateful, thankful. So that's, I'm, I, you know, God even, even filled some of my needs. <laughs> there is, he's always, always working with everybody involved. But in terms of their needs, I did tell them. I came and said, look, if you would come to my country, I would cater for you. I would be showing you hospitality. And I came to you. So I, have, I don't have material wealth to give you. I have nothing that I can really bring other than this treasure that I carry in my heart. And, and um, um, I, was, I was cautious not to show them the book since they're so much into sorcery. They would think that the book itself carries power, you know. And so I had, I had been warned about, about this possibility. So I told them, though, I, I am God's worker. Don't look upon me as a woman. Or you can do that and say she's just another woman and I will leave you alone and there is no harm meant. But if you want to know the one who made all this, and I showed, I pointed it, it there are rugged mountains. That's just such a wild beauty there. And I, sh I pointed to that and I said, the maker of all this, of heavens and earth, and your maker, if you want to know him, that I can, I can help you. I can present you Christ. And, and, um, and so we, we started um, just hiking around. Um, I hiked three mountain ranges, about 14 uh, villages. I don't have a house there. So speaking of material needs, we, we all share in the same needs. <laughs> but speaking of spiritual needs, they do have the, the need of consistent teaching of an example before their eyes because I saw that they follow the example given. They check whether your words line up with your actions. They observe a lot. You know, and they saw that, yes, she, before she eats, she reads the word, or she eats and reads the word, and, and this is how she starts her day, and then she prays, and then at the end of the day, the same, and during the day, too. So they started doing it themselves, so they, they more copy what, what we're doing. And so this, this was a start. So we only, we only managed to um, gather a group of 15 people there, which other missionaries will, will declare this is generous. Um, there are 12 people from one language group, which is the Kewameba, it's a tribal language, and then another tribal language is Meine, and they don't have anything written, and um, we decided the, these people were actually coming forth in faith and saying they believe that Christ is the Lord after I had been about a year with them and going constantly visiting and staying with them, and uh, all we did, I think, was a workshop to validate their um, art, uh, orthography and to do a sort of language and culture uh, recognition. And um, then we did a writer's workshop. So I had 34 people showing up. And out of those, 12 from one language group and three from a different, from Meine, 15 altogether came along and said, we feel called to do the work of Bible translation with you. So yes, it's it's amazing. Um, we start. I, we have a process by which we take a book. I ask them where to start. I explain to them which the uh, consequences or what what we could accomplish by starting in one of the um, uh, gospels. So they decided to go with Luke because there is also the Jesus film, and um, about eighty nine percent, if I'm if I'm not uh, mistaking, is the um, in, in the script for the Jesus film is based on the Gospel of Luke. So 
basically um, God helped us and um, we do have the Gospel of Luke in both of these languages at this point. And it was done in 10 months. Wow, so, so there's still active translating going on there. No, they're not actually. They, I left and I had hoped and I encouraged them you know, to uh, continue in Acts, but they tried and they said, we can't do it on our own. Because what we do is we have, a, a, you know, as I said, a process. We start off in devotion, we, we dedicate three days per week, and we, they gather because they are not all living in the same place. So they gather in the mountain in the middle and hike there uh, early in the morning and, and arrive uh, we do devotions, and then we do a Bible study. So basically, we read the text. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm very blessed with people of knowledge who are more educated than in other language groups. So these guys have actually studied. They went outside of their own region um, to complete their studies of 10 grades, uh, between 10 and even 12 grades. So that is amazing and, and quite rare. Um, but God blessed, blessed us like that. And so I'm grateful because two uh, of them actually are able to read in English and understand. And so I gave them different translations. And um, then um, others are looking into the talk piece in Bible. And then I'm going with the English, but also looking at the originals. And so what we do is after we have read the, the scripture um, and we go by chapter, then we, you know, we go by sections, and and then we identify um, the keywords before we start translation. So I should have I should have said there's a need for translating Absol still. Absolutely, absolutely. It's just they only have one book right now, so wow. that is that is all they have in their language. And how now, many tribes are there roughly in the area? Well, there are three language groups. Um, tribes have have merged. So basically, we, we don't speak in terms of tribes because now they're communities, so there's a little bit of development already gone ahead. And so Kewa and Meba are two different tribes who merged, and that became a language group, Kewa Meba. Okay. And then Meina is the other language group and has you know resulted out of the Meina tribe and, and developed them into that big, larger language group. So there are two of them, two language groups who I'm working with. And they, were, they worked together until uh, a little bit after my departure, and then they split. So that is, that is the problem. They, they, there is a need for leadership, I would say. A, a need for leadership in uh, spearheading this process, continuing. So that, that is the focus uh, upon return, is to identify those uh, which the Lord will bring about and point out. Um, he, I'm sure, has prepared them and marked them and placed the desire in their heart. And uh, I trust that that's what he's going to do. And then he's going to raise these um, during this next term, which is two to three years. Um, and they will be able then to continue the you know, Bible translation on their own. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, too, because in, in a way it's exciting. It's really still happening. And people yes. that are involved can actually be involved in literally translating the Bible for a group that didn't have it before. Yes. And one more thing is the fact that the, a core group of, of these uh, men and women, there are three women and the rest are men, but it is interesting, remember when I told you that they will hear the words and they, are, they have reverence and they show respect and, and awe for the word of God, but they will also check and, and verify. Well, what God is doing at this point is the people have heard because 
they the we read the scriptures every translation to make sure we involve the community also so that they own the entire process and that they're also one by the word they have to hear faith right. comes hearing and hearing through the word of Christ right. so we every single um, scripture we translate and we it's probably in terms of of, um, of dynamics or speed we, we would say 15 verses or even a bit more it depends on the scripture how easy it is to be translated and they can grasp the you know the the concepts that uh, we have about 15 to 20 bible verses per day so every time we translate we already go and read it to the community so wherever they come from the villages and the areas they go back and then they read it over the weekend um, and on Mondays when they have little markets, you know, local markets of exchange of produce, um, they read these to the people and the people come to hear the word. And then sometimes they do come with suggestions for corrections and then we discuss them whether they're necessary or not, you know, so that we make sure that the exegesis is checked too, though. So this is basically the process. So by this time, um, I understand from them that they have already read the book of Luke to everybody around that area. So I believe that now those who are not believers, they look at all these that have participated in the work, and God makes them into, into light, into examples of light, you know, and, and, and witnesses for him. Yeah, they can see the fruits. Yes, exactly. Well, let me ask you, you know, people listening to this are going to be really inspired by your courage and um, your faith. And, and I, I wonder if there's anything that you would like to say to people that might feel a certain calling on their lives or still be in that seeking phase. Uh, what Any advice you have for them? Well, my advice for them is to abide in, in Christ if, if they are his. If they're not his, I, I said even to, to my guys there, do not very quickly presume that you belong to Christ. Make your calling sure, but once you do belong to the family, remain steadfast. And no matter what, just remembering the fact that in every single thing, thing God is with us. He is, and he is faithful. Even when we, you know, falter, um, just don't give in to doubts. The devil will come and he will try to steal the joy. He will try to rob us of our, of our uh, joy and our treasure and, um, and not let that happen, you know. Doubt has no place. Um, searching does. We, we search the Lord and we ask him and he will direct our path and, and uh, onto the path of righteousness. But not giving in to doubt. Um, I was not necessarily very encouraged when I first had the call and, and then further on because I was reminded I'm a divorced woman. What, what kind of testimony do I bring? Um, I'm a mother of children. Well, raise your children first and then you can go. But, you know, I asked the Lord and the Lord brought immediately. I hadn't even finished again my prayer and, and inquiry of him. And he, he reminded me that the one who picks up the plow and looks back is not worthy of his kingdom. So I said, I won't do that. I will continue, and I'm looking ahead, you know, to the price that is before us. That's um, good. That's and, very good. Yeah. yeah. If people want to support you, do you have a website they can go to? I do. Um, actually, the supporters um, for for the past years, uh, they came and the church. They came together and they formed a board and they formed, you know, a leadership specifically for this area so that my focus will remain um, with the Nomane, 
And so we do have a website, and it is nomaneministry.org. Can you spell Nomani for me? It is N-O-M-A-N-E, ministry in one word, dot O-R-G. Perfect. Well, Karina, this has been fantastic. I really enjoyed talking to you. I, I am very, very encouraged. I was a little nervous, and the Lord said, Who are you? <laughs> and who am I? <laughs> and just reminding me of that, and, and the fact that I always have joy to speak about Him and what He has done for me, and He is continuing to do. And, um, you know, my prayer is indeed that we will be blameless upon His return. And He, he does that. He, surely, he will surely do this. It's not by us and, and from us, but he will surely do so. Amen. That's beautiful. I appreciate that. I couldn't agree more. And thank you again for talking to me today. Thank you so much. And thank you for this opportunity. And may all who hear be encouraged and seek him wholeheartedly, for he shall be found. Amen. God bless Amen. you. God bless you. 1 Thessalonians five eleven through 13 Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Are you at peace? Are you encouraged? I hope so. I mean, after hearing that interview, I don't know how you couldn't be. And if you're not, if you're yearning to do more, if you feel like, wow, I've got some work to do, don't be afraid. Pray about it right now. Ask God right now to come into your heart and inspire you to do the work that he's created you for. To be there doing what he desires you to do friend it's not too late early in that interview we find out that that Karina wasn't even saved until later on in life and she has gone on to do some remarkable things and I really hope this this episode inspired you uh, the way it's inspired me uh, you can hear God in her her heart. You can hear it in her voice. You know, her soul is rich. She doesn't regret what she's done. And wow, if laying it out for a lot of people, I can't imagine what they would think about making that kind of change in their life. And she's at peace and she's excited. And let that be uh, an inspiration on your life to do more for the Lord and to do what he's called you to do. If you have a story you want to share, if you have a testimony, if you have uh, a transformation that has happened in your life, why not share it? I'd love to talk to you. You can email me, Clark, personally at srvntco at gmail.com srvntco at gmail.com and we could talk about your testimony. 
I hope this has been a blessing for you. It really has for me. And um, may God be with you in the days to come. And may you take this story, this journey to heart, and use it for God's glory. You've been listening to Transformation.